For over 20 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for horror, cult, and weird cinema to customers around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all your favorite labels, including Cauldron Films, Arrow, Synapse, Severin, Mondo Macabro, and many more from all corners of the globe. Whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic is the owner-operated small business choice you've been craving. Shop online at DiabolicDVD.com, which is... D-I-A-B-O-L-I-K-D-V-D.com and visit our sister company, cauldron-films.com. P.S. All orders are shipped in a box. Once again, that's diabolicdvd.com. And welcome to Colors of the Dark. I am your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, and with me, fucking finally, is Elric Kane. Dragon. You can't say Colors of the Dark, but being like the brightly lit parking lot recording a podcast. What are you doing? You're in the Right. At least I think you're on point though, and you're in the location of one I of am, our films um, that we're gonna discuss later. I I probably am. So my um and the listeners have heard me talk about it, but um literally I got back from Winnipeg from where I was shooting Elevator Game. I was in Los Angeles for 72 hours and then we started across country, ditched the kids with my parents in Virginia, went up to Montreal for the Fantasia screening, flew back to Virginia, and now we have been coming back cross country. Um, I apologize. There's motorcycles next to me. So yeah, I am broadcasting tonight from the parking lot of the um, J- Grand Junction, Colorado KOA, wow. um, which fortunately has good internet. But it's actually really nice here. I've got a fire going. I might like leave the convo at some point and go make a schmore. We'll nice. see how it I'll goes. I'll make a schmore. But let me tell you. After a month, it's literally, I mean, and I was only home for 72 hours, so I have to think I have not slept in my own bed since like early April. I am so goddamn ready yeah, to get no, home. I feel you. I haven't been, I don't even know how long either. And I've just gotten back and I still haven't gotten used to it. I haven't, I feel like I haven't really slept normally in a month, so I'm still trying to figure it out. But that is life. Life, our crazy summers. I'm glad we're finally back on here. Now, where... You were like up in Michigan? No, I was I was here obviously doing doing my weird summer project and then I went to Wisconsin and there's Wisconsin what are the that islands was it. Called? Actually, I mean the only thing that's horror related because I've watched so few films uh this summer compared to my normal life, but uh the Apostle Islands, which I'd never even heard of, but they're on Lake Superior and they're really cool, but one of them was called Manitou Island. I shit you not. And I was so excited when I re- realized it was called Manitou Island. Uh, there was no Manitous to be found, but it was very exciting. And there was another one called Madeline Island, which is like, again, one of these islands that if you live there and winter hits, you have to stay there all winter because there's no way in or out. And some people used to like take sled dogs off it or something. So, uh, but it was, it was good to have a few days mental, you know, off the world. Uh, I could use another week. <laughs> yeah. 
after after this camping trip with my um, family for several weeks, I need a vacation now. But I did get to see Niagara Falls, which was pretty cool. I'd always wanted to see that. And I got to go to Cedar Point, Ohio, which is like this massive amusement park, kind of known globally for its like epically wild um, roller coasters. And as you know, I'm like a huge amusement park fan. Um, Disney by far being my fave. But yeah, it was really nice to get to go and ride all of these massive roller coasters that I'd been hearing about for so long. And so, yeah, it was a fun. And this is what happens when uh, the Discovery Channel buys all the other networks. They've also obviously bought our network. And all we do now is talk about our travel plans. Uh, So, you know, all of our it's just our travels. So tomorrow I'm headed to Vegas. Um, You're the last person I ever imagined in Vegas, though. You're not a you're not Vegas material. I, I legit. I don't like Vegas. I have to be honest. Like, I am not a fan of Vegas. I don't like gambling. I am just not. And I know you do because I've been, I think we've been through. I can't even But I think only for like um, a 48 hour, I'm a 48 hour Vegas person. After that, I literally will die for sure. Like Vegas, if I was there for a week, there's no way I'd survive. I can't do it. It's too loud. And um, and I'm an adrenaline junkie, but oh my God, it's just so glitz. And, um, you know, and the biggest thing for me is like, I can't gamble. Like it's, I'm too much of a control freak to gamble. Um, like, you know, penny slots I'm okay with, but as soon as like I'm playing something that I feel like I could actually lose like 20 bucks, I'm like, I can't do it. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm not fun in Vegas in general. <laughs> Okay, we'll have to do Vegas one day. There's not so, any good Vegas horror cons or anything anymore. There used to be. You know, Fangoria tried one back in like 2005, six thereabouts. Oh, yeah, that was that was yeah. a, that was that was a wild show um, that no one was at. But I did get to spend the entire weekend talking to Bruce Campbell because no one was at the show, and he literally walked over and was like, "So what do you do?" And thus, I okay, opened nice. up an amazing dialogue with Bruce Campbell. So yeah, That's cool. it was a fun show nonetheless. Um, but yeah, not a lot of horror conventions in Vegas. And what we always kind of assumed was the factor. First off, Fangoria had theirs on Halloween weekend, which is like not the brightest anyway, because there's so much competition for everything else happening. Yeah. Um, and most people who are in Vegas are there on vacation. And you don't necessarily want to take off from your vacation to go to a horror convention. Like if you're in Vegas, you're there for Vegas. It was a weird place to have one. But um, again, Hung out with Bruce Campbell, so it might be worth it. Quick question. Oh, yeah. Well, before we get to what you've watched, what are you doing next Thursday? So next Thursday, you know, I was thinking about rolling into campus. I was maybe going to show my brand new fucking movie, Glorious, in the most beautiful theater that we have on USC campus in an entirely free screening. And I was thinking maybe you could, like, do our Q&A. Okay. All right. I'll see, let me check my calendar. See if I'm free. I'll show up. But yeah, no, I'm excited I, to see it on a on a screen because I was worried. I've only seen it on. I start before you finished effects and only on my computer, so that's no way to see a movie. So I'm excited yeah. to see it the way it's meant to be seen before it comes out. So I'm very excited about that. So um, I'm 99 sure. Yeah, like watching it in Fantasia was so wild because we were in this massive theater with like 300 some people. And at that point, I had only ever seen it with five other people. Like we did a final watch down, but even that it was like me and the producers and their intern. And that was it. And so I'd never actually seen it with a crowd and seeing where people laugh 
or the parts that I think are fucking hilarious where people didn't laugh um, or, you know, the oohs and the ahs, like it has just been wild. And we're currently at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I have just been completely elated with the response for it. Like it's always hard to tell how a movie will play on its own. Like it's gonna, it's th- obviously it's still gonna play well if somebody watches at home, but this is definitely, of all the things you've made, this is definitely a movie to be seen with other people because it's it's it is a movie with cues of when to laugh or react or bonkers moments you know it's a perfect to me it's a perfect midnight movie it is it is absolutely wild and i love that in the interviews i keep getting like this is a really weird movie and i'm like yeah i'm like weird um so it works and uh yeah like it's it's a bonkers movie but we've just been having an absolute blast showing it around um so yeah i'm excited so los angeles if you want to come to our free screening of glorious at usc next thursday the 12th a full week before it hits shutter um tickets are free you can head to the colors of the dark socials and rsvp but we are given everything away and it is completely open to the public so come join us um, you get to watch the movie and then you get to see Elric do the most riveting Q&A ever, ever. Be riveting. I, I actually believe that. I don't think that's overhyping it. I'm I believe. I believe it. The most exciting. I'm going to get real personal. I'm going to get under the skin here. Um, oh, it's going to get it's going to get heavy. It's going to get like, you know, like bad things that happen in high school level of heavy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, but but that, that'll be fun. And I'm glad uh, to be asked. So that will be cool. So that'll be the first time I probably see you uh, back in L.A. So I'll see you on stage uh, yeah. in that La La Land. Um, all right. Well, let's get, you've probably seen, I've seen a few new films. I'm saving a couple of deep cuts for our other show deep cuts. Uh, but I've got a, I have obviously seen, I've definitely seen less movies than I ever have in the last, uh, 30 or 40 days, but I've seen some interesting new stuff. So I'm definitely, but you've been to, to the theater, which I have not. Cause I've been in a camper with two kids. Um, so you want to kick off with like the big one? Nope. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. A couple, couple cause of- I didn't see it yet. But you yeah, and I'm to not going to. Don't worry, I'm not going to spoil it. anything. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil anything for anyone. Uh, you know, this is if you've seen. I did well. To, this is the first film I saw after shooting myself, and so it was the one film I was like excited. So it did feel like a big deal because we just wore our masks and were very, very good for 30 days like we really didn't do anything we tried to even me and my uh writing partner web you would have laughed it was like the last week of the shoot we go to this barbecue place on the weekend it was like our first real weekend off and there's this awesome barbecue place in santa clarita and inside air conditioning and all these people and we go to the woman and in the back there's the saddest outside table it's not even been set up to properly be a table there's tables (laughs) on top of tables there's no air conditioning and we literally go to the lady uh, we'll sit back here. And she just was like, wait, what do you mean? You, you know, why would you sit there? We're like, we're doing a shoot and we don't want to get COVID. Otherwise the whole movie gets shut down. And it was just oh, the God. funniest, saddest. And we, that's how hardcore we, we were so committed to trying not to get uh, shut down. So, and it worked. So, hey, uh, it goes to show. But so anyway, this was the reward. We went to Nope the day after shooting. So, uh, Nope by Jordan Peele. This is his third uh, big swing. And I mean, big swing. In some ways, it's his biggest Swing, this is, uh, it's very probably shot, I'm assuming, out where I live, actually. It looks like a Santa Clarita kind of vibe. It um, totally this, feels like yeah. it, yeah, from the trailer. This is his, uh, all I'll really say is this is his big Spielberg blockbuster, 80s blockbuster. This is different than his others. It still has a lot to say. It still packs in a lot. It has certain things that are obvious and other things where you'll, even after a movie, you're like, oh, those were interesting images that felt full of meaning that you have to then maybe look up at later to kind of get the full uh, subtext of, you know, in terms of like 
racial injustices and just ideas all the way through, like all his best stuff. Um, this one, you know, fans of Jaws will appreciate it. I feel like it's like his kind of Jaws blockbuster vibe in terms of the the setup. Uh, there are the first two or three minutes uh, I thought were hard to top like I thought and artistically they're just some of the best work he's done in terms of kind of setting the tone of something I don't want to get into anything to do with the movie really because it's uh what it is is obviously designed to be kind of a spoiler uh this film if you haven't read anything about it don't Uh, I will say uh spoiler Michael Wincott's in it and that's fucking rad and he is just he plays a grisly old cinematographer who's like the greatest ever who could get any shot and they have to hire him for some reason that I won't say. And man, it is, it is fun. It is, um, what I can say without it being spoiler to story is it's, if you watch it and it, and I don't think it was just because I was coming off doing this, but it, it, if you watch it through the lens of being about filmmaking, it's pretty mm-hmm. damn fun to think about it as a movie. That's actually about making movies. And it obviously is about a, um, um, a black owned horse ranch where they train the horses for movies and stuff like that. So it, it is definitely already connected to the film industry, but everything about it really seems to be symbolic about movie making. And I think on that level, it's a, it's a blast. I think uh, there's some things that in the last act didn't quite all come together for me where I was like, Oh no, that was cool. But there's just, it left me wanting certain things, but as a still a full meal, a total blast, people should definitely see it big. I'm sure by now, Probably everyone but you in this country has seen this movie, so I would I'm think so. You from spoilers, <laughs> but the fact that Michael kept- Wincott's in it should get you there first day because I just feel like I hadn't seen him for a long time, and this is a guy who in the '90s was just king to me, like you know, The Crow and Dead Man, and he was just he has the best voice in movies, uh, and he's like perfectly cast in this film. It's very fun. I kept debating if I could take Marnie or not because she's like now watching horror movies yes, and everybody kept telling me there was could. nothing scary in it so I was like can I just take her and we'll go see it she together. you could take she definitely could take and I'm conservative on that kind of stuff usually with because okay. friends of mine take their kids to crazy things and I'm always like what are you insane but uh no this is much more playful it's it, there'll be stuff she won't fully get oh there's one scene mm, okay that's right I remember now why it's on the border there's one scene there, there's a thing with a chimpanzee throughout this movie, which is probably oh. the most, and you've probably, and everyone's probably seen like a still called Gordy's Home. It's about a TV show from the '80s that was canceled. There's sequences tied to that that I'd say there's one thing that is actually disturbing, and that could mm-hmm. could be too much for someone young, and maybe that'd be the one time you'd have to kind of block them um, because it might really upset them because it's kind of serious. The tone changes, uh, but you know. Again, the rest, I wouldn't say that. The actual bulk of this movie, even the scariest parts, are still fun in that Spielberg vibe, you know? Um, anyway, I, I had a lot of fun. I still think, for me personally, I still think it's the third best of his three films, you know? Obviously, get it. it's hard when you open with a masterpiece, and I think Us minus some exposition <laughs> at the end is is really remarkable, too. So, um, Yes. But still a really cool movie. So, so definitely see Nope, and then we can... Maybe talk about more spoilery because I'll be curious to hear your thoughts. It touches weirdly on some things you love, but not in the obvious way. There's some subgenre that it does that you wouldn't have obviously thought about if you've only seen the trailers. So, well, I figured because it, it definitely looks like it leans towards cosmic horror, which is immediately going to hit a couple of my buttons. Obviously, a little, um, a little, a, a little. little. I, I, okay, I, I can't. Yeah, there's something else going on in this that. It, it that's that's 
part of the, the joy of watching this for the first time. I will say no more. Okay. Well, I will continue with the new thing that I did watch, which was Paper Girls, um, which is a new series on Amazon. So I was so excited for this because I have been reading the Paper Girls comics since they first came out. Um, I remember when it was first released, I kept hearing that it was Stranger Things for Girls, um, and which immediately, and it came out like, I feel like it actually predecessed Stranger Things. Like, it came out the year before Stranger Things. They were kind of, like, right within a year of each other. And they're both kids on bikes. Um, G- Paper Girls, though, is about a town um, where it's four girls who are all Paper Girls. And the setup is that um, the morning after Halloween, they're up at, like, 4 a.m. out delivering papers, and they get chased by bullies. And so they all have to ban together. They're all from different walks of life. Um, They all band together to try to fight against these bullies so they can do their route. And in the process, they basically get caught up in what you later find out is this massive like time rip. And they end up in a different time period with these two warring factions of time travelers. Um, and so it is, it's very Stranger Things-ish. Um, but you absolutely fall in love with it just because of the girls. Um, so this is the televised version of it, which they had announced a couple of years ago that they were going to take it to TV. Oh, and additionally, much like Stranger Things, it's set in 1988. It's set on Halloween, um, morning after Halloween on 1988. So it's got that same Stranger Things vibe to it. Um, especially because they're all on bikes and battling bullies. So this one now, I think it's eight episodes on Amazon. I have only watched the first six, I must confess. I have two more to go, but I'm definitely continuing with it because it's fun. Um, The showrunner on this one and the writer was Stephanie Folsom, who penned Thor Radnorok and has a lot of really cool kind of geek credits to her name. Um, This is just super fun YA sci-fi horror. It does not lead horror into the horror it's not going to be like you know faces getting blown off or anything actually there is might be a face or two blown off um but it's not going to lead hard into horror because it is more sci-fi about the time travel and everything um but that said it feels kind of just as deep as like well the last season of stranger things definitely pushed the horror a bit more um but kind of in lines with the first one um so yeah it is just an absolute breath of fresh air i had a blast with this and the acting was really good for like 14-year-old girls. It was really good. Um, So yeah, I'm excited. I don't think that this can continue past this point. The original comic ran for four years, but they basically, in the six episodes that I've watched, it feels like they're doing the full run of the comic. Um, So I don't know if they're continuing it after eight episodes or how they're going to handle it or if it is just like a limited series. Um, But it's definitely been a fun watch. So if you're jonesing for something similar now that Stranger Things has ended, I really recommend checking out Paper Girls on Amazon. It's been just really tight so far, and the writing's been really good. Speaking of which, I have uh, still to watch the very final episode because it's like two and a half hours of Stranger Things. So so I might have to wait till the next episode to be finally caught up because I didn't have very good uh, Wi-Fi while I was traveling. So... Um, But I am excited to finish it. And I've enjoyed this season, except for all the Russian stuff. I'm just like, meh. You know what? By the final episode, and this does not reveal anything since you have not seen it yet, but by the final episode, I actually started to like some of the Russian characters. I will say that was my big shift. Again, not revealing anything. By the final episode, all of the Stranger Things characters that I had fallen in love with were the new ones that were just released this season. Any of the ones like the new the characters out of the Russian prison stuff, Um, the new pizza delivery boy, like all the ones that I was like, yes, I love them. Um, The heavy metal guy. 
they became my favorites. And so after that, you know, some of the people that I, I found myself less attached to were the ones who had been with us from season one. Um, so I will say that by the end, I felt that those character inclusions were a good Choice. Yeah, no, I, the Russian guys, the characters, don't, it's just every time you go there and you're spending time and, and some of that story, you, you do, and then you look at the running time, you do wonder if there's a reason it's hour and a half and doesn't need to be, you know, but whatever. Anyway, oh, yeah. um, I'm old, get off my lawn moment. Um, all right. Uh, speaking of which, speaking of old people making movies, uh, Mr. David Cronenberg made a movie, a new movie. Uh, Crimes of the Future, I also saw uh, towards the very, uh, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, this is a pretty interesting movie. This is uh, humans in the future adapting to like weird synthetic changes to the environment. Viggo Mortensen is part of a duo who do body um, performance art. And his thing is to he creates new mutations and new organs in his body and is able to then produce them. But the problem in the future is for people who have these issues, it's really hard to eat. And so he needs to eat with this weird machine that looks like something totally out of Naked Lunch. Um, and uh, it's about this kind of rising uh, group who are, have, are basically creating a way to eat plastics in the future uh, to replace all food sources. So it's got... What's interesting about it is that this is a complete return to Cronenbergian for, for David Cronenberg. And that's, to me, a really interesting place to end his career. Like, I know he's making one more movie after this, but the idea of returning the, the, the part where it's a little thin um, and the people I watched it with who are Cronenberg fans did not care for it at all. I was the only one who found it. I found it very interesting. My pulse never raced and my pulse never quickened as I watched it because it felt like it was very one tone the entire also very stagey it felt like it's on a stage a lot of the time which i thought was interesting but you know not exactly exciting probably a pandemic shot movie would be my guess mm-hmm. the way there's very few extra characters um but the stars that are in it are you know huge stars leah sedu uh, kristen stewart Viggo mortensen and stuff um but what's yeah what's interesting is it's there's multiple lines in it in the dialogue that are direct lifts from Cronenberg quotes in the eighties, things he said where he's like, you know, in the future there'll be a beauty contest where we'll judge the insides of somebody's body, like shit that I remember growing up on thinking he was, it was so punk rock and interesting. And so it was really weird. It was like, he was adapting his own words and own filmography. And so it almost felt at times like someone ripping off Cronenberg in a weird way, but it was him. So he's allowed to do whatever he wants. Um, But it's cool. And it has some great images and it's like I said, it's never boring the pace is a little is a little a little slow. Um, it's Don McKellar's got a great little cameo in there. What's weird is it reminded me quite a lot, and it wasn't quite as intriguing as that film that I I definitely showed you at one point, or you definitely watched. I think by Lucille Hadlihovic. I think is how we say her name. Uh, is, that's the partner of Gaspar Noe who made that film Evolution with the kids. Oh yeah, the on kids. the beach, and the boys are having like giving birth to weird starfish things. Mm-hmm. It has a few moments where it looks exactly like that movie. Like even it even has a kid on a beach who's eating weird plastic stuff. And so there's moments that really reminded me of the two movies, but that film's feels completely original. And think because this is stuff that Cronenberg's adapting out of his own, basically back catalog, it, it, it I wouldn't. It's almost slight in a way because of that, but it's also cool. I'd much rather Cronenberg's career end here, doing exploring the stuff that you know he started with and kind of putting a cap than than doing something mapped as the stars, which was just completely blah or cosmopolis which yeah. i just found kind of dull so so in a way it's a return to form and it's interesting but it's also 
a little off uh, pace and it ends really abruptly. I, I was sure there was going to be another 20 minutes to it and it just kind of cut to black. And I was like, Oh, okay. All right. Let's that's, that's what I get for now. But um, it's not Eastern promises in terms of <laughs> the energy of the movie, which I think is an exciting and you know, I love fast paced film. Yeah. It's an amazing yeah. shows what a great director he actually is. Not just a Cronenbergian horror guy. He could do probably have done almost anything. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so, so that's crimes of the future. This one came out while I was shooting in Winnipeg and a couple of our crew had gone to see it. And um, they came back to set and they reported the next day and all of them were just real tepid on it. They were very much like, it was like a drama and there were like occasionally like organ licking moments. And then it would be like a drama for another 25 minutes. And they were just so tepid on it that I couldn't like risk COVID to go see it while we were shooting. Yeah, no, you can't risk it, but you definitely catch it when you come back because there'll be stuff in it that you're going to really dig. And I think it it's feels- Prime now, or I th- oh, it's okay. at least rentable. I think it's at least rentable. It might not be on Prime, like for Prime yet, but um, I at least saw it pop up for like a couple of bucks. So I figure when I'm not in a camper with an entire, you know, fam, um that one i don't think i should probably watch with marnie um or strummer probably not yeah yeah there's a lot of some nice um, leah sidhu nudity and weird vigo mortensen eating scenes that are pretty disturbing so you know yeah probably although they have no fucking taste because they're in there watching the emoji movie which they picked out and i was like seriously guys this and they're like no we love this one and i was like oh my god what have i done no no guys that movie is um, a bit of a classic Uh, (laughs) Hashtag poop emoji <laughs> is the most popular emoji. Uh, anyway, uh, that is a crime of the future, the emoji movie. So, um, that is definitely a crime of the future. Okay, so I'm going to jump into. Um, I'm going to do some of the stuff that I saw at Fantasia, uh-huh. which I did not actually get to see at Fantasia because at Fantasia I was doing press um, and running around and enjoying myself and eating cheese with french fries um and so once i got back i was able to get screening links of a lot of the films i'd wanted to see there that i couldn't see and i'm gonna kick off with one that is not horror but you guys know how much i love my like really weird quirky documentaries and this was a really fun one i debated holding this for deep cuts but it was just too fun um and this is the pez outlaw Okay, so the it's just the quirkiest, most wild. Holy shit! How does this exist? I love weird slices of life documentary ever. Um, so this is coming soon. Um, the Pez Outlaw I just played at Fantasia, and apparently, back in the 1990s, um, Pez collecting was just becoming a thing, and there were like these little pockets of people who were getting really into collecting Pez dispensers and had these like little mini conventions and things like that. This one guy who is just an absolute character, he is just quirky, he is kind of self-proclaimed OCD, he clearly is, he's just, he's got some some quirks to him. Um, he is a rampant cereal box collector, but one day he starts collecting Pez dispensers. And he gets hit to the realization that there are Pez dispensers being sold in Europe that never make it over here to the States. And if he goes over to Europe and he buys them directly from the actual companies making them over in Europe and then brings them back to the States, he can sell them for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars because they're not available here. And collectors really want these like weird international ones. So this is all happening in the 90s. He starts making trips to all of the Pez factories around Europe, and then he literally starts filling duffel bags with Pez dispensers from Europe and then bringing them back into the country. 
And it is all these wild tales of like him trying to cross like Russian lines, Russian like, um, you know, territory lines and things like that with literally a car full of like six duffel bags full of Pez dispensers and then getting them on a plane and then trying to get them back into U.S. Customs. And through some legal loophole, Pez had never actually copywritten their stuff here in the States. So there was nothing stopping him from bringing it in. And he becomes this like Pez outlaw where he's literally like buying stuff off the back of a truck in Europe and then bringing it over. Um, I won't say much more about it because it's not her, but I will say this was by far one of the favorite things that I saw at Fantasia just because it was such an amazing slice of life of how the fuck does this happen? Um, where And he literally made millions of dollars off of selling these Pez dispensers to the point where he had like six employees helping him ship them out all over. Um, it was just That wild. to me it is the totally- American dream as a always to me like there's if you have that one thing that no one else is doing there's a niche for anything that you can imagine and if you're the mm-hmm. person who's doing it you can make buck and that to me is what american capitalism has always been it's it's kind of remarkable yeah. and so it was just an absolutely wild slice of life story and a lot about kind of collectors markets and i mean and we're infamous for that too because i mean i've paid like you know close to 100 for a VHS tape before. Um, and I don't even know if it plays because at that rate, I'm not putting it in my VCR. Um, so yeah, like it's it's a real fascinating documentary. But I will quickly jump into a horror one um, with Sissy. And Sissy is one um, that I've been wanting to see for a while. This is an Australian film. And this one is about um, this influencer named Cecilia, who specifically considers herself to be a mental health advocate. Um, She has no medical degrees or anything like that, but she uses her, you assume, Instagram um, to talk about finding safe spaces and being yourself and, you know, being true to who you are and just mental health advocacy. Um, She runs into one of her best friends from high school at a drugstore one day, and you immediately get that Cecilia is like thrown and like, oh my God, I'm not part of this world anymore. What are you doing here? But the best friend is immediately like, you should come with me to my bachelorette weekend. It's going to be amazing. And she gets there and her bully from high school is there as well. Or I guess it's like middle school. Um, Her adolescent bully is there as well. And then you kind of see her go off the rails. Like you see the whole weekend, like she starts losing her sheen of influencer and you see the bully come out, but there's all of this backstory. It's a horror comedy. Um, It's really like a sharp horror comedy. It's not one where you're going to be laughing out loud. It's not like a deathgasm type horror comedy, Um, but it was definitely one where it had some really just sharp pointed stuff to it. Um, This one, I also will say it did not necessarily take a stance on who was the bully. Um, so it kept like, you know, bullying to be really ambiguous because you you see kind of what was going on when they were in school from like four different perspectives. And you begin to realize that kind of everybody was doing what was best for them. And so it's got this kind of ambiguity about bullying. It's got an ambiguity about the influencer stuff because some of the people at the party are like, oh my God, you're doing all of this health advocacy and mental health help without any degrees or any type of education. What if you're actually hurting people or giving them bad advice? And then you see like her Instagram where it's like people saying, oh my God, you saved me. Thank you so much. 
So it's kind of ambiguous on that as well. Um, it, it does get fucking brutal though. Like this one mm-hmm. definitely goes full horror by like halfway through. It gets really wild and it gets even ambiguous on that. I will say there's even with the, the killings, um, that happen, there's an ambiguity level as well. I really recommend this one. I had a blast with this. I was not expecting it to be a horror comedy because it did sound so, um, kind of serious and contemporary. But yeah, I loved how just absolutely kind of satirical it handled all of these topics. So um, Sissy, this one's coming out of Australia, and I assume it should be coming soon. All right. So I didn't have a lot of uh, viewing time on most of my holiday, but I did have a plane ride, and that meant I fit in a couple more movies. Um, One really interesting one called that I've been wanting to see for a while uh, called You Won't Be Alone. Uh, by Goran Stolevsky. And this is set in like the 19th century Macedonia. I think it was shot in Australia, though. Isolated mountains. It's a uh, folk horror um, and a really interesting new spin or a different kind of spin on the witch, a witch film. Uh, I, it has Numi Rapach in it that is on the poster. She's got a smaller role. But um, this is, uh, I liken it to Terrence Malick's The Hidden, but with witches, um, which, Ooh. you know, is, is a fun tagline. But so many movies get cold like even texas chainsaw this year was like everyone's like oh it's like terrence malick's it's not really it's just got sunlight hitting vegetation so everyone gets excited but this actually really truly feels like somebody who is almost an acolyte to terrence malick's style because most of the movie is voiceover the 90 percent of it Mm -hmm. is actually the main character's voiceover she doesn't speak and it's her thinking about existence which it, it definitely if somebody's looking for a capital h horror scary messed up movie that's not this. This is something totally different. This is um, about, I guess, the experience uh, of existence. And it starts with this baby who is about to get uh, probably uh, its blood drunken by this witch that looks like a Cenobite. She's all uh, burnt. And the mother begs her to give her 16 more years with her baby. Um, and in exchange, uh, this this witch will get her as her companion later in life. And the witch talks about something called a witch's spit, which is like, uh, I guess it's kind of like passing on their heritage from what I could understand. You only get one witch's spit, which means one person I think you can choose to pass it along to. So it's almost like, um, almost like a biological uh, line in a sense. And she... She comes back after 16 years to claim this this girl, and uh, the girl had been raised in this k- religious cave to try to hide her from the witch. And so she has never met other people. She's been raised completely in isolation by herself. And so she knows nothing about the world. And so then the witch gets her, and they kind of go off together. And the girl, you know, basically kind of breaks from her. And this thing they can do, they have these claws, and they can tear uh a part of their chest out out and when they take somebody's uh uh like the abdomen or if they kind of take any of their body parts and put it inside them they can then take on the appearance of them and almost like a shapeshifter that's why i say it's kind of like the hidden and so in this movie this one which is ends up playing you know five or so other very different characters and then it becomes this utterly fascinating movie about how limited our experience to the world is because of how we're born and who we are and that we're always experiencing the world as ourselves, not other. And we never really get to see what it would be like through other people's eyes. And so that's what this becomes. It becomes about what she gets to experience all these very different incarnations of life. And she's living life in a sense fully, whereas the other main, witch is 
uh, has a very vicious kind of backstory. And so she's just living to keep living and killing people and killing things to drink their blood and continue on. So uh, it's two very distinct kind of viewpoints on the world. But, you know, this is one of the most interesting movies I've seen this year. It is not um, uh, the scary, crazy, wild horror movie that somebody might be looking for on a Friday night. But if you're into something that's far more about existence and a weird folk car with some really a couple of gory scenes because of the nature of what how they live um i thought this was one of the better movies i've seen this year actually oh it sounds kind of hagazusa-y um with kind well, of- i thought that it would be but this is it, it, it is in terms of setting but it's not in terms of the way it takes it kind of goes it's way it's just this very different thing because it's like a shapeshifter movie but in an art house mold um but it, yeah it's but i think i think you'd find it really interesting you just have to be in the right mindset for it yeah, and it's out of Australia, you said? Well, when I was looking up, it, it sounds like it's um, like Serbian or something, but I think it might have been shot in Australia. Um, okay. From saying I was looking up, um, but it's called You Won't Be Alone. It's on all the streamers right now. And uh, it, was a, it was a nice surprise. Excellent. Okay, well, I'll jump to another one I saw at Fantasia, and then you can jump back to the second one that you watched on a plane. Um, so by far, going into Fantasia, the two films that I wanted to see were Bodies, 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 which I didn't get to see because it wasn't playing while I was there and they weren't doing screening links. Um, and then the second one was Swallowed, which is by Carter Smith. This is the guy who did The Ruins, and I love The Ruins. And much, much later, after I realized um, that Carter Smith shares my love of bug horrors i went back and watched his first film bug crush and so um knowing that swallowed has been kind of um hyped as this lgbtq bug horror i was immediately like well i'm in um and i will say it does have it is more drama than horror but when it goes for the horror it goes and it hits these super cronenbergian moments throughout the entire thing the setup is two best friends um one is gay and one is straight They've been best friends forever. And the um, the one of them is getting ready to leave their small town to go do gay porn in Los Angeles. And the other one, his BFF, is like, I want to give you money so that you're not traveling there with nothing. I want to give you money. They go dancing in, I assume it's Canada. And then they are crossing the border back into what I assume is Washington, just judging by the um, pretty pine trees. And the one guy says, okay, I got to get your money, but I have to stop and I have to do one job um, to get your money. Hold on, it won't take long. And he shows up with his friend at this this property and you assume that he is there to smuggle drugs back across the border. Like he is basically muling something and they get there and this girl comes out with a gun and is like, Oh no, no, you're not just carrying it. What are you going to do? Put it in your glove box. You're swallowing these. And she shows them all of these little balloons that she is expecting them to swallow They say no, immediately start to leave. And she pulls a gun and says, oh, no, no, you're not leaving until you swallow all these balloons. So they have no choice. They have to swallow them. And then they start back across the border. Now, without getting too much further into the plot, I will say, um, knowing Carter Smith's bug horror, you completely realize that what he is having his character smuggle in these little balloons might not be drugs. It might be more kind of alive than that. Additionally, um, I'm going to go with kind of the Maria full of grace theory here of if you swallow a balloon full of something in act one, it's going to have to burst by act three. And so it definitely gets brutal. This is real small. It's like five characters, but it is really, 
good. These are just wonderful, great, dynamic characters. Even the people that you think are bad turn out to have these incredibly wonderful sides, but they're also evil. Like everyone just feels really dynamic. And it has this amazing Cronenberg bend to it. This one gets super brutal, like cringy brutal. Um, but it definitely delivered. And I have just been thrilled to see it get such great reviews because I loved it. This one should be coming soon, I'm guessing. Um, swallowed. And this one is coming straight out of Fantasia. Just if you're into your LGBTQ bug horror, this is the one to see. All right. Um, all right. The other one I saw on the plane uh, is, uh, you know, not getting the best word of mouth over the last uh, couple months is Uma, uh, which means mother or mom in um, uh, Korean. And, uh, you know, this this one kind of plays out a bit like a trailer. It's definitely a film that feels like you feel a lot of the notes on a film. Now, whether they really were notes or that there were the intention of the director, I'll, I don't know, but they f- certainly feel shoehorned in a lot of the jump scares, some of the, like CGI moments of a ghost right behind a character who isn't really reacting to them. Um, it, it's not a good movie, period, but it's a very watchable movie. And I was surprised how much I kind of enjoyed watching it despite constantly going like, oh my God, this is one of the worst exposition scenes I've ever seen. One of the most on the nose, like on the nose moment after moment, jump scare after jump scare. Uh, but underneath it all, there was actually a very interesting story being told um, that could have felt really original. Maybe if it wasn't this kind of a horror film and was just a dark drama instead. Well, a question was, is there a good film inside it? Like, was there a good like art house, tiny horror before, you know, the big studio notes came in? Very hard um, to tell if it would have been on the script notes or if it would be in the film itself. It, there's enough interesting moments. I have a feeling that by the time this was filmed, maybe it was already too late. It's hard to know without knowing, like watch, watching it. It's like, it's got themes that are interesting and ideas, but they're all hammered so fast. Um, this is the kind of film that if it was slower and creepier and shot like, uh, you know, actual films from Japan and South Korea, it would probably really work, but it feels like the American remake of one of those movies. And as mm-hmm. a result feels kind of like a highlight reel and you never really care that much i thought favelle stewart was very good as the daughter it's it's a it's sandra oh as the mother uh to uh, and she's isolated herself on a rural american farm cut herself out off from her uh korean family and she finds out that her mother who was very abusive to her and the reason she left has now died and her spirit is uh will not rest until she's um, made amends with her and you start to basically the idea she doesn't want to become her mother then of course the idea of the movie is she's more or less becoming possessed by her mother and her rituals. And so on that level, it could be really interesting. And I could imagine this reading really well. I I thought even some of the casting was interesting, uh, but there's just moments that were as on the nose as kind of laughable as the room. Like, honestly, there was moments where I laughed the way I did on the room and I was on a plane going, what the fuck are they doing? Like in this, you know, like, why are you telling me this in, in in the way that they're just telling it's all on the surface. So it's very unusual in that way. But, but no, I do think underneath it, there was definitely the remains of something that could have been really interesting. So who knows? I I wouldn't probably write off the director. I'd be curious to see what she would do next. Um, But it is not a good movie, like period. It's, it's, but I think you might enjoy watching it. That's the weird thing. It's, it's always a little weird. I'm not saying it's just so bad. It's good situation. It's more like, no, it's just, kind of crazy the way it moves um so you know I, i'd be curious to hear your thoughts if you get a chance to see it it's like 80 one 81 my, minutes i think 
Oh my gosh. One of my students had pushed me away from it because I was excited the day that it released and they were like, you don't want to see it. And that was it. And yeah. I didn't see it. Um, so yeah, it has not gotten very good reviews. I don't so think far. I ever would have watched it had it not been on a plane. It's kind of like it was between that and Firestarter. And I had a moment where I pushed play on this. And as I pushed play on this movie, I realized I will go the rest of my life and never watch Firestarter. So okay. it was a decision in the moment. I knew they're both of the, a similar kind of quality as my guess. And so... That's where I landed. Sorry, Firestarter. Oh, I'll stick with the original. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I will round us out tonight um, with really quickly saying that I've gotten a lot of reading done while I've been on the road, which has been um, the nice part. I read the comic book um, spinoff of The Conjuring, which um, was a mixed bag for me. It's got one big story called Conjuring the Lover, and then it's got a bunch of little kind of anthology stories in it. Um, and I have to say, like, The Lover, the the like main story was okay. It wasn't anything that I was like, oh, this was like, you know, just as good as the movies. Um, but what I did fucking love was they have all these little what they call tales from the um, Warren's vaults or whatever it is, where it's like all these different objects from around the Warren's rooms um, and just these little like four page stories about them, about what either the objects do or one particular story um, about a character. And those have been awesome. Like I would read an anthology about all of the stuff that the Warrens have in, it had in their, their weird little museum room um, anytime. Um, but yeah, the one, the one bigger story was not as effective for me, but that said, I will read more if uh, DC wants to keep turning these things out. Um, the other thing that I read was, um, and this was pure like summer fun horror reading, which I always seek out during the summer, um, The Haunting of Ashburn House by Darcy Coates. And I'd read some of their other stuff. Um, and I always love Darcy Coates because they um, cut to the chase. It's very much like I, um, there are no chapters longer than like three or four pages. And I have realized in my um, age, especially as I usually do my reading at bedtime, how much I fucking love three page chapters. Like mm -hmm. even going back to like the mid aughts when I was binge reading everything by Amy Hempel. Did you go through an Amy Hempel phase? I don't know. Okay. I definitely went through this like Amy Hempel phase. And the reason that I loved her so much is because she just cut to the chase. Like there was no flourishes. She wasn't going to spend 20 pages talking about how the wind was blowing through the trees. Every chapter was three pages and it just cut to the chase. And that is a lot of times what I'm looking for in my bedtime reading. Cause basically like if it's longer than three pages, I'm going to be falling asleep and like hitting myself in the face with this book by page five yeah. on most chapters. Um, and I wish I had more time to read at bedtime, but usually by the time I make it to bed to recline to read, you got three pages, like 15 minutes before I'm out cold. So there's just something beautiful about the conciseness of that. Um, Haunting of Ashburn House was actually quite fun. It was nice. It was breezy. I read the whole thing in like a week and a half, um, just reading like a chapter or two at night and some of it by a pool. Um, um, at the KOA Denver. And yeah, is a girl inherits a house, um, decides to start living there because she has no money. All of a sudden she discovers all this weird stuff written on the wall, weird things around the house, ghosts, you know where it's going. You've heard this story a bajillion times. It does have a really cool, interesting take on kind of what the ghost monster is at the end. So I really enjoyed it. But if you're just looking for a nice, fun summer read, um, Darcy Coates, The Haunting of Ashburn House is a fun one. Um, okay, so that, that sums up all my good stuff. Do you have any other? I actually read two things and I'll be super brief. Um, I read, uh, which for me was, I hadn't read in a long time, so it was nice to have a break. Uh, a really great, like, I, as you talk about the little books, this book was, 
like as thin. I took a train ride and it was the exact. Oh, that's like a novella. Yeah, it was great because it was the exact length of my train ride, like a five hour train ride. So it was like the perfect read called uh, Trap for Cinderella. Uh, this is a writer, Sebastian Jeppersot, who's had a lot of movies, a lot of noirs um, and thrillers uh, adapted from uh, his writing. I came across him from this awesome Charles Bronson thriller, a French thriller I saw earlier this year for the first time called Rider on the Rain that has like a killer um kind of killer sterling so i noticed this writer's name and looked up his books and this is the first one uh this is just a this is like a uh, a girl from a like a lower class girl basically starts to become obsessed by this wealthy girl and, in this french town and be, and starts hanging out with her and then one day there's this awful fire so when the movie when the book starts she's just survived this fire she has no memories she is totally disfigured so they're giving her plastic surgery and then this woman comes and says, oh, you've been in this terrible fire. The other girl's dead. And we're, we have to keep you isolated and kind of bring, build you back up to health. And of course, she's going to inherit all this uh, money. Um, it's her slowly trying to figure out, is she actually the girl she's being told she is? Or is she actually the girl who really did, uh, you know, really would have inherited this money? And why are people telling her, you know, giving her different identities when it's this crazy amnesia movie? And it's really interesting because it's first person. I love amnesia stories and it's really dark and it's great. Like I thought it was terrific. One of the better reads I've had this year. So I just picked up three other books by this person uh, and a lot of them are movies. So I'm looking forward to kind of checking those out. Um, so that's Trap for Cinderella. And then the other one. Don't you have a letterbox list for amnesia films? I do. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good amnesia list that, that I worked on way back in the day on on a different site called movie originally, but yeah, I, I, I don't know why I'm really drawn to them. Cause they're so, it's such bullshit. You know, amnesia as a concept is yeah. so fucking rare in our real life, but in movies, it's the easiest, like I got hit with the gun. Now I've forgotten everything. And I just, for some reason, I love that. Um, and the other one is a paperback from hell um, suggesting that my friend James Ashcroft had told me about, uh, this is one of the Grady Hendrix selects kind of books. And this one's very different than the, a lot of these are kind of very eighties and fun and kind of wild, you know, type books for the most part that I've come across. Uh, this one's called the auctioneer. And this plays out more like a, a grim seventies drama, you know, tension kind of uh, movie that you would expect from the 70s. This is uh, by a writer, Joan Sampson. And this is really cool. This would make a great HBO series, I think, like a one season, um, kind of like The Outsider. It's basically a small town where everyone's in New Hampshire, where everyone's still farming, but the modern world is growing around them. So it's probably like the 70s, like uh, post-Vietnam uh, 70s. But it, they feel very rural. This auctioneer comes to town and he starts... Uh, holding auctions every week. And he tells everyone you have to give something to the auction, kind of like needful things almost. Everyone gives something to the auction so they can raise money to add to the police force. So there's just one cop in this town and there's no problems in this town. Suddenly now there's two cops because they raise money from the auction. Suddenly there's 10 cops and he's in charge of the cops. And every week you have to give something to the auction. And about halfway through, you have almost no possessions left, but no one can say no to the auctioneer because they have the police force and they're slowly working towards taking the town. And it's really fucking interesting because it's a slow burn uh, of basically giving up all your rights due to kind of being polite or fearful or not holding to your values. And it's a, it's almost like, how do we give away culture? How do we give away 
a sense of self. How did we give away perhaps America, you know, is kind of what it's about. It's, it's really one of the stronger books I've read in a long time, but not what I would have expected from a paperbacks from hell at all. Like nothing like the other books I've read in that series. So, um, wow. That sounds really heavy and psychological and subtle and it doesn't sound like it has vampires or nazis there's nothing horror nothing like Um, outside of nothing supernatural like 80s paperbacks at all no it's so it's obviously a it probably they put it out because they realized here's this great book that no one's no one's paying attention to but if we put it under this label people will discover it so yeah that was a really nice uh find so thanks Uh, so those are my two uh my two reads for uh my summer break which is nice Excellent. Well, um, shall we, we knew we would spend a lot of the episode catching up. So we're going to be a little bit briefer on our topic tonight. Um, but what we wanted to do, we figure since we've both been traveling, I'm literally sitting in an RV park parking lot right now. Um, we wanted to count down our five road trip horrors, our five fave personal fave road trip horrors each. Yeah. And we have done vacation horrors last year. And I realized I have one of the, that I picked or maybe last year or the year before I've lost all track. We did something similar. And so I think we're going to be breezier and just so everyone knows uh, we have had uh, with everyone's traveling, we have had some connection issues. So part of wanting to be a little briefer is to make sure we get this. <laughs> so you don't yeah, make sure that we finish the episode. Storms don't um, steal the episode, which could totally happen while we're traveling. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was, that's been a whole thing is um, Midwestern thunderstorms. Y'all that shit knocks out internet every single time. And it's been a trip. Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is also brought to you by Feels. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel, like stress, anxiety, and pain. And Feels is a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free and delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important and that everyone's dose is completely different. If you need a dose of chill on the go, pop one of Feel's new CBD-infused mints for a clear-headed feeling and fresh breath. In fact, Feel's offers a free CBD hotline to help you guide your personal experience so that you, in fact, do find your perfect dose. The Feel's customer service team is dedicated to making sure that you get the best use of your CBD. Joining Feel's monthly membership makes your self-care super easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel your membership anytime. So start feeling better with Feels. Become a member by going to feels.com slash C-O-T-D and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Again, that is feels.com slash C-O-T-D. That is F-E-A-L-S dot com slash C-O-T-D to become a member and get 50% off automatically off your first order with free shipping. We'll race through some of these because some of these you will know, but these are just wrecks. So if if you're vacationing, do you want to just, should we just jump in? I mean, we might have some overlap too. We don't know. Well, I was actually just going to start by saying that when I was crafting this, it came to my attention that some of what we consider to be the most classic horror films are road trip horrors. Um, Night of the Living Dead, Psycho, Last House on the Left, Hills Have Eyes, Texas Chainsaw Massacre are all Mm. 
road trip horrors. Um, and so I'm going to assume that neither of us included those because we'd always go for the deep cuts. But yeah, um, the fact that, you know, once I started looking at the list, I was like, road trip is kind of the start of so many of what we consider to be our sacred horror films. Our sacred scary stories all begin with, I am leaving my house and going somewhere new. Which could be a form of like, I'm saying like society punishes you for stepping outside of your domestic space, you know, stay at home, mm-hmm. stay safe. Don't, don't venture out. Don't do anything. Yes. Which is interesting actually uh, as a concept. Yeah. I mean, I picked ones. So I, they, they aren't all deep cuts, but they're all just ones. I, I'll, I'll just kick off with one because it's, yeah, it might be one of the, it might be the best on the list. Uh, and I'm, I'm not putting these in any particular order, but I think uh, the original, the vanishing, it's mm-hmm. for loose is one of the bleakest and best movies I've ever seen in terms of simple tone. If you're ever looking for a movie that has one tone, but just charts it like perfectly. And, and, and also like when you get movies later, this is to me before I started noticing someone like Michael Haneke, the, they're also doing certain things that Haneke would be doing, you know, uh, 15 years later or getting noticed for 15 years later. Uh, this is John Sluzer. This was 88 and he remade his own movie five years later with the American remake, which is if you've yeah. only seen the American remake. You still haven't seen this movie because there's actually a few real critical differences. I, I don't hate the American remake, but the original is a fucking classic. Um, and it's just, I'll be very brief. It's a young couple holidaying in Europe. Uh, they are, you know, very happy. They're on a bike kind of tour. They go into a gas station and, uh, his, his girlfriend never comes back. And so the first part of the, it's like one of those perfectly structured movies where the first part is somebody who loses somebody. And then you see from the person who abducted her's point of view, uh, you know, the, he, the abductor sends this guy postcards and says, do you want to know what happened to her? I promise if you do everything I say, I will tell you what happened. So it's the idea that are you going to go crazy from not knowing or are you going to take a massive risk by engaging in something that could be very dangerous? And of course, uh, so the other structure part of the, the piece of this film we get to see is the abductor who comes off as this very scary because he's so normal family guy. Uh, and I won't say what his things are and about, but he's very much into uh, rationalism and ideas of balance of the universe. It's pretty disturbing. It kind of almost feels like maybe he was a bit of the, um, a bit of the idea behind uh, the Javier Bardem character in no country for old men, not so much in terms of how he looks and acts, but though his approach, the whole coin toss kind of concept feels a little bit in line with this character. It has the best, perhaps the best ending in horror films. Like it's, way up there i and especially if you see it before and it's spoiled for you i saw this pretty early when somebody was in a video store told me to rent it and i was like not prepared for it and it's really chilling um this uh, stanley kubrick apparently as soon as he watched it he called the director and said this is the most terrifying film i've ever seen kind of thing it's it's really fantastic um and i almost put breakdown on my list too with Kurt Russell. <laughs> and I feel like Breakdown is also taking the fun version of, of a movie like this. Uh, it is. Because Breakdown's a blast. Um, but anyway, so that's the vanishing highest recommendation if you haven't already seen it for someone. Well, whereas The Vanishing is a great, great artistic film, um, I'm I'm going to go um, very polar opposite here with kind of the sleaziest possible pick I could come up with, but goddamn, I love this movie. Um, so my first road trip movie is Freeway. I knew you were going to go 1996. there. <laughs> you knew I was going As soon as here. you said sleazy, um, I knew you were going to. Sleazy. No, this one is one of those movies where I'm like, 
who the fuck greenlit this and how did this thing get made? Um, but hey, it's got ma- major talent in it. So Oliver Stone produced this thing. It stars Kiefer Sutherland, Reese Witherspoon, and Brooke Shields. Um, and basically the entire thing is um a very sleazy modern day take on Little Red Riding Hood, where um Reese Witherspoon plays uh, an illiterate teenager living in Los Angeles. Her mom has just been arrested for prostitution, and her dad, her stepdad, I believe, has also been arrested i think for drugs and so she knows that the social worker is coming to take her away and so she decides to run away and she is running to her grandmother's home who lives in stockton and so she decides to hitchhike and she hitchhikes with Kiefer sutherland and really quickly realizes that he is actually a serial killer who is going to do her some serious harm and so then it does become this like little red riding story but oh my god this one like some things dip their toes in the sleeves this one like puts a funnel in your mouth and force feeds it to you the whole time it is so goddamn sleazy and weird and funny and i don't even know this it's just it's it's supposed to be funny it's cringy at moments i don't even know how this film got made but it is just one of those that i watch in shock and awe every couple of years it it reminds me a little bit of the way um critics have caught up to jennifer's body and didn't like Mm -hmm. it when it first came out and now everyone loves it it feels like this is one of those movies that deserves that same kind of it's in that same subgenre of it's like somewhat satirical somewhat like yeah. really messed up it's is it for kids is it for adults i think it's really good I, I watched it again for the first time maybe a year or two ago and was i thought it was even better than the first time i saw it and Kiefer playing the big bad wolf is fantastic and reese weatherspoon i mean she was just she's never played a character like that again it's so she's no edgy. and she never and, will no she won't need to but it's she was definitely uh got noticed um that's a good one yeah one other uh, one other twist to this i don't know if you did this but i i said one of the films on our list should uh somehow reflect either the road trip you're on or what you're doing or where you've been or something i don't know yeah uh, so i did mine for my next one and this one's one that i'm bringing up now because it's finally gonna be easier to see it's been very hard to see i think a french blu-ray just got made that was a big deal so uh this is uh 29 palms not an easy movie this is a hard sledgehammer oh that's a heavy heavy movie but it was an influence on me like it definitely made me want to go to 29 palms and i had a a little bit of uh, filming there and it so it, it stayed with me i saw this in 2003 when it came out sort of at a film festival and i don't think i've ever had quite a as strong a reaction to the ending of a movie like this was one of those movies where you kind of get sucked in it's basically like slow slow repetitive art house slow 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 people having sex in the desert nothing happening nothing happening and then suddenly you get like i don't know the last 20 or so minutes where it's like deliverance mixed with frankenstein or something for a few minutes and it's so shocking because you've been lulled into this other pace and it's so realistic that it it leaves you actually kind of fucked up. Um, but this is an interesting film. It's an American photographer. It's Bruno Dumont, who's a major kind of, uh, you're kind of talking about Haneke. He's kind of in that mold. He's won con multiple times for more like religious kind of films uh, about characters in doubt of religion and stuff. This is very different. This is a, him making an actual horror film, more or less. Uh, an American photographer has, and his Russian girlfriend, uh, he's a, a photographer who's going to scout locations in the desert. And it's them driving from LA to 29 Palms, stopping along the way having sex in weird places and the kind of shifting 
problems between them as a couple and he's quite aggressive and he's kind of nasty a very unlikable character in this a very memorable scene in a swimming pool that is probably the reason i was drawn to go back to that area to want to film something because i just kept thinking about the swimming pool which i did actually go to look at the swimming pool and even talk to the owner of the same motel and that guy it was probably the funniest thing that happened to us on the shoot he kept saying oh that's what that shoot said they told us there was nothing sexual they told us there was no money they lied they lied they lied and it just this guy was so he was so traumatized <laughs> by what had happened with this other film shoot that it was it was really quite funny um but yeah this is one of those films that uh has been very nearly impossible to see uh, mm-hmm. these last few years and i just recently heard there was a new blu-ray from fractured visions a company i hadn't heard of um i believe they're european and it and when i say a movie isn't we always say that like hey this won't be for everyone this is really the definition of that kind of movie this is not for everyone because yeah. i gotta say this one's not for me yeah. like i cannot watch this movie again yeah it's like it's like one of those movies that if you watch it at the right point you might get haunted by it like i have been because i i've thought it think about it all the time it doesn't necessarily mean i want to watch the whole thing again but there's images in it that really stayed with me um so again it's art dark art that gets under your skin but uh you know i i just thought this would be a good inclusion for anyone who hasn't uh, even heard of it they might check out the trailer and you know if you can survive it but it's definitely art house heavy and shocking um in that in that haneke way so um, my next one, which is the one that kind of relates most to my um, trip across the country in a camper so far, or more specifically, what happened right before I left that kind of left me haunted and thinking about it. Um, so is Strangers Pray at Night, oh, yeah. um, which I absolutely love this movie so much. I think it's just such a good sequel doing vastly different things. But um, I think that Johannes Roberts made a lot of really smart decisions in it. Um, and this one takes place all over the place. It starts in a trailer park and then it goes to trailers, campers, minivans, and it follows them along this road trip. Um, and what had happened to me right before we left we had taken our RV in um, to get some upgrades. And because I realized that one of the locks was broken on one of the windows and I took it in and um, I was like, yeah. And can you fix the lock on the back window? It, if you jiggle it enough, it'll come open. And the guy looks at me completely straight faced and he goes, well, you do realize if anybody ever wants to get in your camper, like all they really have to do is push. Like, you know, <laughs> if you really want to get in one of these bad boys, nothing's keeping you out. Like these are the most unsecure things ever. In the meantime, like my face is going white. Mm. Like this little plastic lock for some reason is making me feel secure. And he's like, oh no, no, you push hard on these windows. You push hard enough. You can just open them. And I'm like, mother So I have thought about that thing that he said the entire time we have been traveling across the country um and and i don't think it's true i don't know if it's true i mean the windows are like 10 feet off the ground who the fuck knows but um so stranger things they break into that that camper so they did and just the idea of you know if anybody wants to get into this bad enough they could i was suddenly just like oh my god i'm so unprotected um no i still need the little latch on the window fix just so i have some semblance of safety um but then that got me thinking about stranger things um pray or stranger pray at night because it does have that belief system of if you really want to get into something you can and i uh specifically this one it it goes from motels to the road um to all these different locations starts out in a trailer park and it is um a similar setup to the original strangers where it is just you know people you don't know why they just show up and they start killing they just knock on the door come inside and then start 
killing people. And then it just continues as they're chasing them. This one, instead of staying confined to um, one house with one couple, it focuses on a couple of teens and it goes all the way across like several counties, I would assume, as they're jumping from place to place. By far the coolest scene, which I show um, in my class as an example of a really great um, murder set piece, is where they're in a hotel and they're out by the pool and um, the pool is playing Total Eclipse of the Heart and it's got all these beautiful light up palm trees and the pool's lit and it's just a gorgeous kill scene um across the board yeah, so yeah it's best. really yeah, yeah really really aesthetic um but yeah this is one that as soon as uh he had said that i was immediately picturing all the trailer park scenes all of the rv scenes in strangers uh pray at night so yeah um but if you haven't seen this one it is it's a pretty decent sequel from 2018 um my next one is one that uh, i don't need to go in deep because i'm sure me and you've mentioned it at some point on here uh and it's a film that i think was lesser known for to average people till recently till joe bob did it on the show and i think as soon as joe bob highlights something everyone's seen it but that is tourist trap uh, by David oh, yeah. Schmoller. I just think this, the thing, the reason I put this on my list, I think my favorite thing about America traveling across America is still roadside attractions. I think they're the mm-hmm. last remnant of Americana left and they're even, you know, obviously disappearing fast as well. Right. The, as if you travel across America, uh, I, I have most summers traveled across, you know, at some point you just realize how every year it becomes more and more generic and more and more uh, strip yeah. molly and all the same shops and all the same restaurants. So uh, still seeing these roadside attractions, I always think are what gets me excited. And this movie does it so well and it's so disturbing and scary. Like the, the first time you see this movie, the first Part of it is not knowing if you're watching something that's a supernatural movie or or a Texas Chainsaw type movie. And when you're first surrounded by these mannequins that these like they, uh, this group of friends get stranded and they're at this roadside museum that has weird mannequins and they start screaming, the mannequins start moving. It's truly kind of upsetting because you don't know what kind of movie you're watching yet. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's rare nowadays to like put me in that position. And then and then you enter Chuck Connors and Tanya Roberts. And it's just, you know, it, it's a it's a it's a really fun. It's probably one of my favorite of all of these types of movies uh, of even like teen slashers in a, in a way. It's a play on that. But there's some telekinetic twist here. And I just think it's a great movie if people haven't seen it. Had to put it in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, tribute to Americana. So I'm going to follow that up with um, one of my deep cuts, which I'm sad to say that this film kind of has become a deep cut from 2008, Splinter. Mm -hmm. Um, This is directed by Toby Wilkins, and this is one that I never feel like it got enough love. It's real small about a group of people road tripping, um, and somehow one of them comes into, it's like a gas station, like really small grocery store, and has been got a splinter off of something in the woods and these splinters start growing from him all over and they spread to other people. And so it becomes like an infection, but almost like a fungal one or like some type of, of creature that is spreading through these like organic splinters in people's body. Um, almost, if I remember correctly, a large amount of this was practical effects. Um, and it is great. It is just a really wonderful body horror that, uh, you know, kind of had this small boom in 2008 when it came out. Toby Wilkins ended up to go on to do, I think it was the second grudge film and then didn't, I haven't 
haven't seen much from him after that, but this movie was just awesome when it hit. And it is kind of this, um, you know, group of people who are all traveling and then just ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time with this one particular event happening. Um, so if body horror, monster horror fans, you're looking for something that you may not have seen yet. Splinter from 2008 is super tight. Yeah, it's no, it's a cool movie. Um, okay. So I was going to put the hitcher on my thing, but it's just so obvious and it's just the best. Like that is my flat out number one, uh, which is, you know, see Thomas Howell driving, uh, transporting a car across a state line and running into Rucker Howard, who is a serial killer who just basically decides because he can, I will ruin your life. And it is one mm-hmm. of my favorite movies. Eric Red writes the shit out of it. So I want to remind people to watch that one, but I wanted to give a shout out to saying totally off the, off the radar for most people. It is an indie from last year or a year before that it is on the arrow films platform streaming. And it is a, a very micro budgeted film. Uh, I think it was all shot on iPhones from memory. Uh, it is called threshold. And it's, um, I know one of the guys I think might even listen to the show, Patrick Robert Young and Powell Robinson co-directed this. And it's a brother sister film where they're traveling across America. Uh, basically the sister who was an addict and had also have, has all sorts of problems goes to see her brother. Her brother's very skeptical, about you know helping her again because he's been there so many times having to get her out of problems but this time she comes to him and says i joined this weird cult and they did this weird ceremony on me and now i am conjoined to another person and any pain they feel i will also feel and if they die i will also die and it's and and he's like i can't believe it but then she's her you know her she's so convincing and he sees her in certain like things he can't tell if she's just messed up on drugs or if this is real but he ends up trusting her and to what she convinces him they have to go across country to Mm -hmm. find this guy and the closer she gets the she can sense when they're getting close i believe and try to break the spell and uh it's got some really because it's also dealing with cult stuff it's a road trip movie and i don't know if they're writing it as they're on the road i don't know if that's true or if it's more like they had it scripted plot wise but maybe some of the dialogue was being shaped as it went along but it's a really cool like 80 minute uh, smaller indie that really uses the road. I wanted to highlight it here because it, it's an original approach to using the road, I thought, uh, on an indie level. But also the star of it, uh, Joey Millen, was one of the people I just worked with. So I was, you know, and I cast him because I had seen this movie. I saw this and I was like, oh, that guy, I definitely want that guy. Um, and uh, I just thought it was really interesting. I think it should be on people's radar if they like indie films. This one, I know it's streaming on Arrow. Outside of that, I'm not sure, but it's called Threshold. Nice. Um, okay, so I am going to go to a recent one um, called Alone, which I know we both really dug mm. from 2020. Um, this is a uh, kind of a more thriller than horror, but it definitely goes horror in the, the third act, um, directed by John Hyams. Um, and it is about a woman who I believe she is a widow, and she has decided to move from um, wherever she is to, I, she's traveling north. I believe she's heading up to like Washington, Seattle area. And as she is driving, she keeps encountering this guy over and over. Um, like it first starts with her cutting him off by accident and he gives her this horrible look and then she runs into him at a gas station. And then she, he, um, she pulls over at one point and he pulls over in front of her and approaches her. And by the fourth time, they're just kind of, Uh, non-coincidentally running into each other at a gas station at a motel 
you realize that there is something seriously fucked up with this situation. But it goes to what you were just talking about, the idea of civility and when to stop being nice and when to stop saying, okay. Um, Like there's one point where his car is broken down and he is asking her for a ride. And by this time she has coincidentally run into him like five times. And uh, that was my favorite part of the movie because you're like, don't say, don't agree. Don't let him in the car. Don't let him in the car. And she's just like, fuck no. And and it was just such a great moment, but then it keeps going. Um, And this one, I did not necessarily like where it went into the second act because the first part of this was so tense. Um, But that said, I think that it earned where it goes in the second act. Like it earned where it it commits. It's the natural progression. Yeah. It commits. I agree. I love this. I thought this film was actually one of the best directed films I'd seen in a long Mm -hmm. time. And this is the son of Peter Himes, the famous cinematographer and director who did the relic. His dad directed the relic. Um, And this one, it's like where it goes. The performances are so good, but, the first half is so good because she's doing all the right things. She does. Yes. She's not being the dumb movie character. And it's still what's so smart about the movie is it, it's like telling you, well, it still doesn't matter if somebody wants to take you out. kind of like the, what that person said to you about your car, camper van. If somebody's really that person can go fuck himself. Yeah, no, if somebody's going to target you in that way, you're kind of fucked. And that's what sucks about psychos. Psychos are, mm-hmm. have a lot of power because they don't make sense. You know, their, their actions don't, don't make sense. And that's what's scary. That's why it's scary. Um, but it's a good, 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 pick um okay my last one here is uh one that i actually did bring up briefly on the vacation one but because i just don't believe that people listen and this was a more obscure movie uh this this one is such a good movie it's it's close to the outside of road games this is the most hitchcockian film i can think of and this one's called and soon the darkness um, directed by Robert Foyce from 1970, who did Abominable Dr. Fives, which I love. This is a total, mm-hmm. this is a 360 from that movie. Like that movie's campy and weird and colorful. This is very realistic. It's two young English uh, girls who are probably like 20 years old. They have decided to do a tour of Fran- the French countryside together on their bikes. And one of them is all about trying to get laid. And the other one wants to stay on the path and wants to stay on the tour. And that's what she's thinking about. And the other one just wants a good time. And they kind of work at a bank type characters. And they start their tour and it's just really realistic and they keep eye- eyeballing a guy at a bar and they're they're on this long stretch of road and they find a little place to stop and one of them wants to sunbathe and the other one's like no we have to get to the next town it's time to keep going and the other girl goes you go ahead i'll be there soon so the girl leaves and of course her friend never comes catches up to her now this other girl goes back to the spot sees that the stuff's kind of kicked up and maybe some of the undergarments are astray and she's kind of, you know, confused where her friend is. She goes back to this tiny, tiny, tiny French village and it becomes very Hitchcockian because the MacGuffin in a sense, or the, the, the kind of tension comes from the inability to communicate. She can't speak French. She has no idea. No one can understand her and she can't fully understand them. It is clear that there's a psychopath or somebody who has also done this before, raped and uh, murdered a young woman. So she has heard the story at some point, which ups the tension, obviously, of where it's going. And it just it has like a 30 minute sequence. I remember kind of towards the last part that is so tense, like you don't know who the person is. You just don't know from the characters you've met. You can't really tell and you don't know exactly how it went down. And then she starts getting herself more and more into a very dangerous moment. And then it just feels like you're watching like total Hitchcock pure cinema in the last like 20 minutes. It's fantastic. And I still feel like no one knows this movie. It was remade 
and not a very good remake about 10 years ago. That's very not much like it. Uh, and probably people maybe have heard of that, but not seen this version. Um, mm-hmm. But this is a terrific movie. And I, I just think people need to seek it out because it's like a British film, but it's also in the set in France. So it's a travelogue um, in a lot of ways. But man, it's it's really good. Um, so the last one that I'm going to do is is not by any means the best film on my list, but it's one that I always found to be kind of interesting that didn't get hardly any attention when it came out. And that is Reeker from 2005. Um, yeah. I don't even know if you've seen I, I, that. I think like, I did in the end when it came out. Yeah, I think I did. I think it took me a while, but then I think I eventually did push play. Remind me what it's about and I'll. It is a group of teens who are trapped at kind of like this desert, um, like one of those desert like rest stop areas where it's got like a restaurant, like a little coffee shop and a gas station, like this little like desert rest stop area. Um, And they can't leave and they are slowly being hunted down by this decaying creature that smells. That's all they can talk about is how badly it smells. And that's where the term reeker comes from is um, they will smell it right before it kills them. And it's slowly picking them off and no one else can see it and they they're isolated there um this film is by no means perfect and i will say when you get to the ending you're going to be kind of like oh i've seen that before but it takes an interesting path to get there and i liked the creature work and i liked the path that it took to get there just because it was a path I hadn't seen before, even if it was traveling to an ending I had seen before. Um, And so it is this kind of, it feels like a slasher, but like with this supernatural bend because they are being picked off by this creature with this awful smell to it. And um, yeah, so this is one that I wanted to include just because I don't think it got attention um i remember covering it for fangoria when it came out in 2005 and then not hearing much after that but it is set in one of my favorite areas which is you know kind of these like deserty rest stops which by the way glorious was supposed to elric read early versions of the script it was supposed to be a desert rest stop and we ended up going to mississippi and then i did not have sand or desert or anything like that but i've always been fascinated um by these kind of little desert oasis actually elric and i did the drive from phoenix to los angeles a couple of years ago and just some of the areas throughout there i've always been so fascinated by the little um towns that kind of dot the highway and this is set at one of them um, where it just does feel like desolate nothingness in the middle of a desert. You probably dodged a bullet, though, because I think there was a day we were shooting in the desert where it was 118 outside. Jesus. And we had to keep turning off the air conditioning inside to shoot. And everyone was melting. It was pretty crazy. So oh my desert gosh. road stops, you might have avoided a bullet. <laughs> oh, God. Well, we, we kept saying that we were never going to actually shoot at a road stop because that's kind of disgusting. Um, like we always yeah. knew we were going to build the set, yeah. but like the exteriors. And I mean, it reached like we were scouting like Palmdale and places yeah, like that course, before yeah. we were like, eh, no, we're in Mississippi. But yeah, I love desert. Um, I love desert road movies. Like I have to say, I have a list of like my runner ups here and Southbound was on it. Um, same as California. Yeah, um, just because I do out. love those kind of like desert road trip aesthetic. Yeah, I, I love yeah. them. I think that's my favorite. I mean, one of my favorite things about America, honestly, is the fact that it is it, it has the possibility of reinvention. It's like this big landmass where you could go from state to state and imagine different lives you know as you go and i think that's something about it that still exists and i think those movies echo that and i think uh i think that's why maybe we're as filmmakers kind of always drawn horror filmmakers are drawn to it uh constantly because there's so many you know i think serial killer culture obviously you know in the 70s 
was part of the reason they were hard to catch. They could just mm -hmm. go over a state border and it was much harder to catch someone once they changed states. You know, you're dealing with different uh, jurisdictions. So I, I think there's a it's a it's still rife for more great stories to come out of the road. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And even just like my journey today, we went from one end of Colorado to the other. And at one end of Colorado, it's farmland. Like it literally looks like the rest of the Midwest where it's all corn and soybeans and it's very flat. And then it turns into the Rockies and these absolutely beautiful grand mountains that are just treacherous and awe-inspiring. And then as you come down, like where we are now in Grand Junction, it feels more desert. Like we're getting close to like the Utah area. So just even in one day how I've seen these three drastic landscapes um like it's just such an awe-inspiring setting for movies across the board yeah. um so yeah I'm excited for more road horrors but we have a movie fight, movie fight. Movie fight. oh it will be a it will be a brief one but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling. Okay, so our movie fright for the night, we wanted to do two kind of classic awesome 1970s movies, yeah. road movies. Yeah, these are both top-notch. I don't think it's going to be a very long fight, but we decided to pit The Brotherhood of Satan from 1971 against Race with the Devil from 1975. Yeah, and I'd say anyone um, who's listened to the show probably knows, if I had to say what is my number one, Race with the Devil is just one of the greatest coolest craziest movies ever uh but but for both of us brotherhood of satan was kind of a recent discovery for the last couple of years yeah. and it was like last christmas i watched it and it's great like it's a fucking yeah. bowler crazy surprising weird that that show we both started watching from definitely mm -hmm. the hook of it feels similar to how the hook so of brotherhood of satan worked where it's just these people get trapped in this town that they can't leave mm -hmm. and they can't figure out why they can't leave. Just something is keeping them there. And every single person in the town seems to be slightly off um, from, you know, kids being slightly off to the adults are slightly off to the old people are slightly like it's just this. And it's through the American Southwest um, and where it goes like it just has some absolutely amazing horror scenes. And this was one that literally we didn't know it existed until there was a fancy Blu-ray edition last year. Yeah, it's one I'd always seen the cover of, but I thought it was like a generic satan movie so i never rented it like it was mm -hmm. growing up it was just one of those covers i'd seen but it's it's a very interesting movie because it starts with a family road trip and then they crash down and then you, I, we won't ruin what happens to the kids but it's something happening to the kids uh and the kind of senior citizens and there it's pretty weird it gets pretty weird uh the cool the funny thing about these two and race with the devils is about uh peter fonda warren oates the greatest actor of all time uh and there are significant others taking an rv and uh they're just to kind of go chill out and ride ride dirt bikes uh they happen to stumble across a satanic uh ritual sacrifice and then they're being chased the whole movie by satanists which is about as fun as it sounds it's pretty great um the, it is the, in an rv and i will say there's not a lot of great rv horrors i'm looking for one if any uh, that's like one of my goals yeah. as a filmmaker because i love rving and camping so much i'm like one day i want to do that um but there aren't a lot out there historically but this is one of them this is kind of the pentacle of them. Yeah, I would say uh, the only way to really uh, take this on is who has the best hicks in their movie. And uh, both these movies, I thought it was going to be Brotherhood of Satan home run here because it has Strother Martin, who's the main preacher in this, who is to me the greatest. He's the one who says what we have here is a failure to communicate, like one of the great actors. And mm -hmm. it has LQ Jones as the sheriff. Now that's... Yep. that's and like, he wrote it. Yeah, he's one of the writers. No, so that's great hick 
uh, heck film. But then Race with the Devil, I, I, I knew it had R.G. Armstrong. R.G. Armstrong, who is the ultimate of these kind of actors. He's like the main guy uh, coming for them. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize, and this might tip, tip it, is it also has a guy whose name most people won't recognize, Paul A. Partain, who just happens to be... Nope. Uh, he only appeared in three movies, really. And I'll list what they are because it might be one of the best filmographies in all of movie. He was in Race with the Devil. He was in Rolling Thunder, which is the greatest movie. Oh. And then he was in one other movie called Texas Chainsaw Massacre playing none other than Franklin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> one of my least favorite characters in the history of all movies. So it might just tip. Uh, oh my God. Him blowing raspberries or whatever they're called. It kills me. It's painful. But anyway, so he's in this one. So that might tip it a little uh, if, if we're just based on the hicks of your movie. Um, you know, I have to say, I, this movie fight wasn't a really equal no. fight for me because Race with the Devil is honestly one of my favorite yeah, movies. Yeah, me too. Ever. Me too. It's, um, it's, it's, it, even though, but that said, uh, for those who, the deep cut here is definitely Brotherhood of Satan. So I'd say you could, this would be a fantastic double feature. So, absolutely. so let's call it, call it a weird draw where you should just watch both of them, but we all know the truth. Definitely. Okay, guys. So we um, will next week, we will be over on our Patreon show deep cuts with a lot of the weird stuff that I've been watching on the road, which I have been watching a lot of weird stuff as I've been going along. Um, And then the week after that, we will be back colors of the dark. And because it's right around the same time, my film glorious is coming out. We're going full Lovecraft for that episode. Uh, Or cosmic Um, horror, right? So Lovecraft, but we won't limit ourselves to just that writer. Of course we will. We'll get possible. Yes, but we're definitely doing an ode to the movie. And just so people know, that was my idea, not your idea. You weren't being thank you, you. Yes, plugging your own was. movie. I I wanted us to do that, um, and it'll be fun because we both love Cosmic Car. Uh, and yes. most importantly, come see Glorious uh, next week. That's that's the first thing you should do if you live anywhere near LA. And yeah, and if you don't know what we're doing over on our Patreon, uh, like I don't know what other Patreons are like necessarily, but I know for us, it's just doing a whole another show. It's like a shortened version yeah. where it's all deep cuts. So if you're interested in uh, some of the weirder or more obscure movie titles that we are watching, we keep that for that show. So I, I think it's uh, and, worth it. Yeah, and we release really cool lists every couple of weeks as well. Like literally today, I just typed up our top 20 Hong Kong horrors, and that's going to go up on our Patreon in just a couple of days. Um, so yeah, definitely head over there. And thank you guys so much. We will be back in two weeks. Have an awesome um, rest of your summer, and I hope to see you guys at Glorious. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. Hurtado.